You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist. Uh, what's the thing again? Ryan Schlipp is my name. Check us out, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Find me on Instagram, Packernet Podcast. My, my home address, uh, if you're interested. <laughs> it happens about once a month. I just My brain's just way off in another world, and I forget that I'm doing an intro, and... Um, I need my brain to do my intro, so it gets weird. It gets pretty weird. Um, today being Sunday, I'm pretty sure, yep, Sunday, we have to look at the upcoming games. We've already done that a little bit. We're going to look at it a little bit closer. Um, because I want to do some other stuff, we might just entirely skip some of the other games. I just don't want to dedicate time to, like, Chargers stuff. So we'll, we'll probably take a look at the games we care about. Um, we'll... Pick another position or two to do. And I'm trying to figure out because some people are like, oh, I only want Packers news. So put that in the front and put the non-Packer stuff after. Um, what's less Packery? Other teams' football games or college foot or Packers draft content? The Bears or college tight ends? <laughs> I don't know. Why don't we start with this and we'll figure it out from there. Um, sort of what people assumed were was... Big news. You, I don't want to click on that, um, but isn't really big news. NFL salary cap expected to hit 208 million in 2022. Ian Rappaport says the 2022 NFL salary cap is expected to reach a max of 208.2 million, which means spending should be back. My story with Tom Pelissero on the return of economic normalcy. So now everybody in the comments is freaking out, like, dude, this is crazy. We got so much money now. Um, somebody's asking Ken Ingles, are the Packers still in the hole or are we good now? Patriots fans are excited because they think now all these, all this money we spent is just erased because we got all this money now. Uh, Jordan says Rogers and Devontae extension coming soon. Back the Brinks truck to Goodwin and Gallup. Good. Now more teams can afford Deshaun Watson. Eagles are going to get Wilson, blah, 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 blah. Right. And again, this is why on one hand, I keep saying, there's nothing that I do that's very special. What I do here is, I mean, literally anybody can do it. The problem is nobody wants to do it. And I'm not just talking about getting up and recording a podcast and uploading and then saying, here you go, here's my opinions on things, here's me talking about football. Um, I'm more talking about basic critical thinking skills. And I hate to even use the word critical. And I, I'm sorry to everybody that I'm making fun of, but I'm reading these comments and I'm stunned. Now, I'm waiting for one person to just say it. Just say it. Nobody's saying it. Bill Belichick, really the GOAT. Uh, LFG, let's go. WWW, Gallup and Gregory extension, love it. I'm just looking for one. There's not one. What's the question you think I want to ask? Somebody was close when they said how much of an increase... Over 2021 is this. That's close, but that doesn't answer the main question. What's the main question here? How much of an increase is this over what we thought 2022 was going to be? Nobody asked that question. You know how I know nobody asked that question? Because the answer to the question is zero dollars. Zero dollars. This is exactly what over the cap said that the salary cap would be over a month ago. So the answer to the question of how much more money do teams have than they expected is $0. So if you couldn't back up the Brinks truck a week ago, you still can't back up the Brinks truck. If you were concerned about Bill Belichick ruining the cap because of what the expected cap was going to be, then he still ruined the cap. 
if you're worried about Devontae and Aaron Rodgers and how can we afford them, this doesn't provide any relief whatsoever. In fact, if you go back to November of 2020, if you go back a year ago, you know what the expected salary cap was for 2022? Um, as of right now, the actual cap is 208200000 The expected cap a year ago was $227 million. That's $20 million more than what we're actually getting. So this is a lot less than what we were getting. This is not good news. This is just everything that we thought was horrible for next year continues to be horrible by exactly the same margin. And we seemingly have known this since July, June or July, somewhere in there, because I don't feel like continuing to search for this. As of May, we th- so, so it was $227 million dollars was our expected cap around February or January, whatever. Then it dropped to 203. Something happened and uh, over the cap and these other estimate places are like, nope, it's going to be way worse than we thought. It's going to be about 203. Then in around June or July, it jumped up to 208.2. 208.2 has been the estimate since at least July. July, August, September, October, November, December. It's been six months we've known this was the cap. And they were exactly right. I mean, not 208 million, 208.2 million. So this must have been a proposal in June or July that has now just been made official. So the whole article just is screeching about how excited we are that spending. And listen, it's a major increase, and increase, and that's great. And and the next year is going to be a major increase as well, which is also good because. And I've been saying this. I, I think kicking the can down the road suddenly became kind of a useful strategy because there's so much increase over the next several years, you can kind of afford to keep pushing money out. It kind of makes sense. And maybe that's why the Packers are doing it. I I had this discussion, I don't know, several months ago as as a theory. As of right now, the expected jump is to 225 million, which again, remember, is still lower than what we thought 2022 was going to be at one point, like a year ago. So I wouldn't be surprised if 2023 is actually higher than 225. We went up um, $30 million this past go-around, or 26 or whatever it was. So to only go up $17 million from 2022 to 2023, especially when in this article by NFL.com, 2023 is when there's supposed to be new media triggers that get kicked in from the 2020 collective bargaining. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's significantly higher than that. But maybe it's not. I don't know. But I, I do think this is why you're going to see continued uh, can kicking. Because par- part of the issue is, I, th- I think what is wise to do is to recognize that this is artificial deflation of the salary cap. The salary cap is higher. It's being artificially deflated to pay for the cost of 2020. And so the lower salary cap is kind of fake. So if you can find a way to act as though it's higher and continue on in that manner, eventually the cap is going to get back to normalcy and then you'll be in sort of a normal whatever. The the, the problem is though, if you deflate everybody, you have to inflate them later on. And so you can't really keep things the same. You have to inflate things over what they should be. So it, I don't know, it creates kind of an issue that you're, you're going to struggle to get around. But whatever. I, I, I think that is part of the issue. And it makes me wonder if we're going to see, and instead of everybody assuming that we're just going to cut everybody, if we see, for example, a giant Devontae contract that's just, you know, backloaded, as it usually is anyways in any Green Bay Packers contract. But again, they're not operating from a salary cap of $208.2 million. They're operating from the standpoint of, you know, starting in 2023 or 2024, we're going to be looking at, you know, by 2024, 256. And again, that's probably low. I mean, it could be, what, 260, 270. At that point, how much, even if Devontae is getting 25 million a year, that's that's going to be a small amount of money comp- compared to, you know, if, if the salary cap in 2024 is, uh, let's say, 270, 25 million would be 9% of the cap. Even a quarterback making $40 million at a $270 million cap is less than 15%. Aaron Rodgers right now is at 20. 20% of a $270 million cap, and I'm kind of making that number up, but let's just say would be $54 million. Do you understand? I mean, that just to give you an idea, that's how crazy that is. That 
the comparable Aaron Rodgers contract would be $54 million. So Pat Mahomes getting $50 million, and this is why you give a guy $50 million a year, by the way, for 10 years, because in a matter of five, six, what, you know, three, four years, $50 million is not that big of a deal. And then you got year six, seven, eight, nine, ten, where it's, I mean, he's one of the lowest paid quarterbacks in football, and you happily just move on because he's maybe not that good anymore. I don't know. But, I mean, and, and we know this, the, the, the crazy salary cap situations, the crazy contracts, all the craziness, especially with things growing so exponentially, I think you start to see even crazier um, backloading of contracts because when you give a number, the number is, is just, it's, it's, it's a flat number. It just is that number. That's it. 20 million, 30 million, 40 million. It's one number. And that number carries for the the length of the contract, two, three, four, five years. But when you look at the exponential growth of things, the growth is exponential, but the year-to-year jump is trying to figure out how to say the, the thoughts I'm having in my brain. I don't know the words. That is a static number, right? The exponential growth might be from 225 to 255, but the number is $20 million. And the next year's jump might be $30 million. And as that number continues to grow, I mean, it just... It's hard to wrap your head around what that what that means when when the exponential growth when that number from year to year is so massive that you're getting into like the amount of of money it costs for a quarterback is 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 the increase. You can pay for a quarterback with just the increase. And I think what it's going to mean is you're going to see scarier and scarier contracts because again, when you give a guy a contract, we're going to be looking at what the salary cap is, and these numbers are going to be stupid. But the, the contract is going to be based on future money. And, and with, the, with the jumps being so massive, they're going to give them completely unsustainable contracts based on today's money. But tomorrow, it's going to be reasonable. And in two years, it's going to be low. It's pretty wild. But anyways, circling all the way back now, this was not an increase. Uh, at least over what we thought it was. So this doesn't change the equation even a little bit for the Green Bay Packers' ability to pay Devontae Adams, Jair Alexander, which actually is going to be a, a cap savings for us, um, any of the wide receivers, et cetera, et cetera, right? All the guys that we're worried about that are going to be leaving, not one person was saved by this news because it's the exact same news that we knew yesterday and the day before that and the day before that. I will say, though, I I, I still, to this day, I'm not as down on... Um, the salary cap situation, as a lot of people are. It, it just doesn't seem that difficult to get out of. I mean, it, it's a big number that we're in the hole. But if we, and I'm not saying this is a good thing, but just just very quickly, if we move on from Zadarius and Preston, we're about broke even. Aaron Rodgers is sitting at $46 million in his, as far as his cap is concerned. If he gets an extension, that number comes down at least to 30 million. So we're dropping at 16 million dollars. We haven't touched anybody else yet. Again, I know nobody wants to hear move on from Zadarius and Preston. I'm just saying, you know, the the idea that it's impossible to keep Rodgers and Devonte is kind of silly to me. Of course you can. Well, that doesn't leave 25 million for uh Devonte. You don't need 25 million. Just because it's 25 million per year if it's even that doesn't mean that he's going to be costing us that much this year. That's not how they structure. That's not how anybody structures contracts, but especially the Packers who like to backload stuff, especially given a time when, like I just said, the salary cap is going to be going up a lot more than we're used to because it's going up the normal rate on top of, you know, the increase over the artificial decrease. So if his salary cap hit is like $15 million, we're at about zero just by getting rid of Preston Zedarius, restruct or extending Rodgers and by the way, giving Jair a new contract is going to save us money because he's got that fifth year where the contract is really high. So if we extend him, it's going to be below that. So we're going to save a little bit of money there. Now, we still need to be above zero, but we're going to do other things. And, and like we said, it's going to be painful, right? We may need to move on from Amos as well. I don't know. I don't want to. That one kills me more than just about anything. But um, again, we'll, we'll see what they end up doing. I just think we... Uh, we think that there's there's zero possibility of doing that. It's not true. And honestly, the idea that we need to get rid of Rodgers for, for salary cap reasons, I don't even know if that's true. I mean, if we move on, we save $19 million. We can do that by extending him. Now, we'll have more money in the future. Yeah, but again, the salary cap will take care of that by going up so much. And it's not like Aaron Rodgers at this point in his career is going to say, I want a $50 million contract. I mean, maybe he will. And that might be the thing that pushes him out the door. But if he says something reasonable, like, give me an extension for, you know, four or five more years 
let's call it $40 million a year. All right. Because again, by the time that his contract is up, quarterbacks are going to be getting 50. 40 is already, I mean, we're already beyond the 40 mark. So I, I, I just, I think extend, at least for 2022, I think ex, you can save about as much money extending him as you can cutting him or, or trading him, obviously. You wouldn't be cutting him. I could be wrong because there's other years that are already in there, so you maybe can't push it out as much. I don't know. I mean, we, we would, I don't know if Rogers, GM Rogers is going to allow this, but by getting rid of Randall Cobb, we can save almost $7 million, which is a staggeringly high amount of money. And that seems like an easy trade-off for me. Like, we, we can keep Devontae or we can keep Randall Cobb. What do you think? Because $7 million is a lot of money. And so just by extending Rodgers, uh, moving on from Randall, Preston, and Zadarius, we're at about $18 million in cap space. Maybe we extend Zadarius, but he's 30 years old. I don't know that you really want to go that route. I feel like Zadarius is going to be sort of the Mike Daniels or the Corey Lindsley or whatever, where it's like, he's still really good. Why are you doing this? And it's like, well, because he's really expensive and he's 30 and he's injured and it's time to move on. And he'll go somewhere else and he'll be okay, but not as good. And you'll see that, you know, within a year, we're not going to really care. So, you know, and again, with, with extending Jair, we can probably push the cap over 20 million. And yeah, we got to bring some guys back. That's, that's true. And we will use the 20 million to do so. So, and, and I'm, I'm not saying I know any of this. I'm just saying this is, this is one scenario that brings us at 20 million, you know, it's, it's not as dire as people make it out to be. This is enough money to add Devontae Adams to the roster on a long-term, very high-paying deal, and Aaron Rodgers is still here. If you don't want to do that because you'd rather keep 30-year-old Zedarius, fine. Then just work something else out. I don't know. But I'm just, I'm just giving you a scenario that puts us at $18 million, probably $20 million, without really doing very much. So it's uh, it's bleak, and we're going to have to do stuff that we probably wouldn't do otherwise, but um, it's not an impossible situation. It's not true that Rodgers and Devontae have to go, and we can't pay Jair, and uh, just the, this crazy stuff that I'm hearing is the only reason I'm doing this, because people are really freaking out. And so, yeah, some painful stuff is going to have to happen, but we're not going to just gut the entire team. That's not reality. You know, another $2.5 million for Mason Crosby. Sadly, that may be coming down the pike as well. And since a new kicker isn't really going to cost us any money anyways, or even beyond the uh, salary cap calculation, that's just a straight up $2.5 million. Anyways, I think, I've, uh, I think I've made my point here, made my couple points. Let's start looking at some of these games that are coming up. Um, and again, I want to focus on the ones that matter. So we got the Giants in Miami. I don't really care. Let me, do, let me get over to my uh, sports betting site that will re- remain unnamed because uh, they don't sponsor the show. Um... Bankroll is down to almost nothing because of what I said last week, where I was just going to let it all ride on, um, like, the Packers and a couple other games that mattered, um, because I'd rather lose it and have them win. It's a it's a good enough trade-off for me. Uh, it wasn't really a rational bet. It was just for my own emotional well-being, <laughs> because if we lost those games, if we lost to the Rams, that would be incredibly painful, and at least I could be like, hey, I made money. And um, again, what we're dealing with... If I can just be completely honest, we're dealing with about 20 bucks. So I don't care. If, if it's just gone, it's gone. And we're down to about seven now. And again, I don't care. Because I kind of just said, here's 20. This is all the fun you get to have this year. Have fun. Do whatever you want to do. And that's what we're dealing with. So see if we can get back to 20 real quick. I think I had it up to about 30 before I said, let's just let it ride. And fortunately, I didn't just put it all on the Rams because then I would just be done, done playing. And I didn't want to be done playing. I don't, I really don't do this with the intent on like making massive amounts of money. As you can tell by these miniature bets, if I wanted to, I'd go over to these super contests. I used to do that. And then I would just run out of money all the time. Um, I don't want to do that. I just, I'm just having fun, just kind of making picks and messing around and whatever. Um, And then when it's gone, it's gone. I don't really care. Kind of given up on the whole, I'm going to be super rich by getting lucky making picks that don't make any sense, especially since there's so many like massive corporations that um, have just their their entire job is to bet on these super contests and, and take all the money away from that. Oh my goodness, breaking news, Omicron is in Wisconsin. As if we didn't already know that. <laughs> Sorry, I just got a pop-up on Twitter. And I'm sure everyone's going to freak out about it because Omicron is in Wisconsin and apparently that means something. I don't know what it means, but something that we're supposed to panic about, I'm sure. I mean, eventually someone will die from Omicron, right? And then we can then we can panic. I don't know. I don't know how this works. Kind of panicked out, to be completely honest with you. Let's start 
with the Minnesota Vikings and the Detroit Lions. Is there any reason whatsoever to believe the Detroit Lions have a chance to beat the Minnesota Vikings? Probably not. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm leaning real heavy on any given Sunday. I'll be honest, though, I'm a little surprised that the Vikings are only seven-point favorites. This is one where I feel like I should probably put something on that. Granted, it's, it's you know, it's not just a win-loss thing, but at the same time, it kind of is. It's, it's confidence in the win to some degree, not just, you know, what are the odds that the Vikings score seven more points than the Lions. And I'm going to be honest, th- this, is, this is a big game, and I'm glad that there's a game like this. Um, hopefully, it's not just a complete blowout. It is in Detroit. We got that going for us. Um, right now, the Vikings are two and four on the road. Um, they are three and two at home. So they are, I mean, this has always been the case with the Vikings, but they are a much worse team on the road. Surprisingly, also, three of their, what, six games have gone into overtime. 50% of the games that they've played on the road have gone into overtime, and they've lost two of those three. Um, it's kind of weird, even just to have three overtimes in, what, nine games? Not nine games. What am I talking about? It's six and five is 11 games. But uh, 50% of your road games have gone into overtime. So let's let's look at their on-the-road games. The first two weeks they started on the road, they lost both of them. They lost to Cincinnati by three. That was in overtime. They lost to Arizona by one. That's kind of crazy. And it's also, it is one of those things where if the coin flips the other way, this is actually a pretty good team. If they beat the Bengals in Arizona, first of all, they just beat Arizona. Second of all, they start the season 3-0. and Then somehow their offense completely implodes week four against Cleveland. The Browns only score 14 points and they lose because they only score seven. Um, they beat Detroit and they beat Detroit by two. And that was in Minnesota. That's probably a big part of the reason why the line is what it is. That might be the game we need to look into. What the heck happened there? Now, a big part of that is it, it follows in line with what happened in Cleveland. Both of these are home games. The defense was on point. The offense was terrible. I don't know if there was an injury that took place, but you got to understand the offense was 33-33, 7-19, and then 34. Something really weird happened. And then it dropped down to 16 against Dallas. But the last four weeks, and their bye week is week seven. So, yeah, Dallas was week week eight, though. But it's been 31, 27, 34, 26. The offense has been kind of on point, but it's the defense that's been kind of the problem. 34, 20, 31, 34, they've given up. So it's actually kind of similar to the Packers, where the offense is finally figuring it out and the defense is falling apart. To be honest, that may work to the favor of the Detroit Lions, who... The offense is abysmal. I don't know how they're only 30th, um, probably because they scored 33 points week one. Since week one, 17, 17, 14, 17, 11, 19, 6, 16, 10, and 14. They have not scored more than 17 points since week two. I don't, I, that is the worst thing I've ever seen. However, the defense was a massive issue for this team pretty much the entire way until their bye week. Since their bye week, they've allowed 16, 13, and 16. Maybe that's a fluke because it's the Steelers who are terrible, it's the Browns who don't have a quarterback, and it's the Bears. However, that's still fairly promising. In fact, let's look at the last three weeks just for fun and see uh, when did the Vikings have their bye again? So they've had five weeks, but I mean, the last three weeks is when the Vikings kind of went on a roll, right? So last three weeks make sense for both teams. Detroit's defense kind of kicked in the last three weeks after their bye. The Vikings have kind of hit their stride the last three weeks, although they lost to San Francisco, but still beat the Chargers, Packers, et cetera, et cetera. So let's just compare the two teams in the last two weeks, three weeks, whatever. So Minnesota's offense the last uh, three weeks is fifth in the NFL. Uh, Packers are eighth. They've scored 87 points the last three weeks. They're two and one. However, their defense is fifth worst in the NFL, allowing... 85 points. Detroit somehow with that horrific series of games is only 24th. You'd expect it to be a lot worse than that. But their defense is ninth. Now again, you got to take into account the teams that they've played, and I think that's fair. But if you look at it and say the Vikings defense is one of the worst in football over the last several weeks, right? I mean, they've given up, even if you go back four weeks, it's even worse because they gave up 34 points four weeks ago. So if we went back four weeks just to be kind of jerks to the Vikings, it would be even worse. So let's just say the defense is so bad, and it, it, it probably is worse than Chicago, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh, and the Eagles, and the Rams, and um, since, I mean, these are not bad defenses necessarily. And the last time they played the Vikings, they did score 17, which is the highest they've scored. Let's just say, let's just say they get to 20 this week. 
Is it possible that the Lions defense that seems to be doing quite well the last three weeks, that is the fifth best defense in football, again, we'll, we'll leave aside the details, that they can hold the Minnesota Vikings under 20? What are the odds they can hold them under 20? I would say it's still not very good. <laughs> I mean, they, they did score 16 against Dallas. That did happen. Last three away games, they scored 26, 27, 31. I just, I'm struggling real hard to make it. I mean, the gap is so massive. It's so massive. A, a great day for Detroit is 17 points. A bad day offensively for the Vikings is, I mean, they've had two games under 17. That's it. I mean, it's just so hard to get it there. Um the only thing we have to look back on is the fact that they got 33 in, in week one, and that was, you know, maybe they get some kind of a crazy bug and, and make it happen. Um, but there's just nothing. There's nothing here. Um, they haven't gotten to 17 points since the last time they played Minnesota. That was week five. That's not true. They got 19 against. Oh, 19. There you go. 19. <laughs> 19. Again, but, but again, I, I even went with 20. I said, let's say they get to 20. Still unlikely that the defense, even, you know, I mean, again, they kept three teams, 16, 13, 16, but it's the Steelers, Browns, and Bears compared to the Vikings. I don't know, man. I'll say this. I'm not going to bet on the Vikings because the seven points, you know, if they are able to keep them to even, you know, if it's 20 to 25, I still lose. So I probably won't touch that. What is the over-under? 46? No, I don't want to do that because... I don't want to go under because I could easily see the Vikings, you know, if they get to, well, even so, that's 30, you would need to be 16, 16 to 30. I might do under. I mean, if, if on their best day, they scored 34 points and that was in overtime, 34 would mean Detroit would need 13 points because it's at 46 and a half. So it'd have to get to 47 for me to lose the bet. And that's their best day on the road with overtime, against a defense that has not allowed very much recently. Plus, most of these high-scoring games were shootouts. It's, it's not like they just put their, their boot on the neck of somebody. They're, they're doing it out of necessity, right? They scored 34 against Carolina. It was overtime. I mean, it was, it was a back and forth. They scored 34 against the Packers. Packers got to 31. It was out of necessity. The point is, if they're well past them, I think they're going to kind of kick it into neutral. I don't think they're going to get there. I'm going to do under. I will say, though, it is pretty bleak that uh, Detroit wins. It's just, it's hard to find, using history, any scenario other than, I mean, what it has to be is Detroit plays really, really well and the Vikings play really, really, I mean, it's, that's true of any team. You know, if, if they play bad and we play good, we win. But it has to be almost the Vikings play one of the worst games they've played all year and Detroit plays one of the best games they've played all year. That's really the only scenario. And that kind of sucks. It's not impossible, but that kind of sucks. Arizona Cardinals, Chicago Bears. Um, again, I understand some people can't vote for, root for the Bears. I, it's, it's kind of critically important that Arizona loses. It really is. Um, we have to catch Arizona, and we can't do that if they don't lose. And if they lose, that is massive because we own the tiebreaker. So they have to be a full game ahead of us in order to get that number one seed. Um, because again, if, if we have the same record, we are over them. So it doesn't have to be the Bears, but there aren't that many weeks left. And um, there's only so many decent teams. And while maybe those decent teams will beat the Cardinals, uh, this is this is also a time when Arizona is is kind of down and depleted. So you, it's maybe the last time we can take advantage of the fact. And I don't, let me see if I can get an injury update. Um, Ian's usually pretty on top of this stuff. He starts firing off who's playing and who's not pretty early. I don't think he's done that quite yet. Doesn't look like he's even started. It is, it's almost eight o'clock. He's kind of got to get going. Oh, here, uh, James Robinson, da-da-dee, do-do-do. This guy really doesn't sleep. Four hours ago, he's sweetened this stuff out. Uh, Odell Beckham slowed this week with a hip injury, expected to play. Should be a bigger part of the offense, Source said. They've been saying that since he got there. They said that the same thing about the Packer game. He should be a bigger uh, role in this game. Uh, Josh Jacobs, wide receiver Deshaun Jackson, both of whom listed as questionable, expected to play. Curtis Samuel, expected to play. Clyde Edwards-Alaire should play. Here we go. Optimism remains for the Arizona Cardinals today. Sources said that quarterback Kyler Murray is expected to play versus the Bears, while wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins could return as well if all goes well in warm-up. So that's kind of where we were 
yesterday or whenever I talked about it, where it seems like Kyler is going to play. DeAndre Hopkins is the only big question mark. Um, so fingers crossed that they decide that DeAndre doesn't play. And, um, you know, we'll see. But, um, again, it's just, it, dude, it's so bleak for the Bears. It really is. They were on a one, two, three, four, five game losing streak over six weeks because of a bye. And their only win, they only cracked the streak, the slide, because they played Arizona. There's no way. There's no way. There's just no way. They beat them 16 to 14. This is, uh, wow. The, the, the one good positive thing you can maybe look at is that they allowed 16 and 14 points. And I know Detroit was one of them, but Baltimore was also one of them. They only allowed 16 points. So maybe if the defense can play on point and hold them to 20 or less, they did score 27 against Pittsburgh, um, 22 against San Francisco, 20 against the Raiders, 24 against the Lions. 20. So it's a little bit reasonable, I guess. In the last two weeks, Arizona, granted because of not having a quarterback and whatnot, they scored uh, 10 and 23. Uh, against the Packers, they only scored 21. Against San Francisco, they scored 17. There is a universe, at least in this realm, there is some overlap in terms of a bad day for Arizona and a good day for Chicago does create somewhat of an overlap here. Um, the offense has had bad days. I mean, if even if you look at what the Packers did, Let's say they do that and they allow 21 points. What are the odds Chicago gets over 21? Again, they've, they've had um, three games over, tw- <laughs> over 21 points. Oh, why do you suck so bad? I guess I should be happy. I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, we get to just kick back and watch the game and see what happens. Um, am I really? I'm probably not going to get both of these games, am I? I should check to see which ones I get. I don't know. Oh, I do get both. Nice. Fox is uh, Cardinals-Bears, and CBS is Vikings-Lions. That is a great day. Now I just got to figure out how to get them both up. I need two TVs upstairs. That's 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 the thing. That's what we need. Or just get two downstairs. I guess I'll just watch one on my phone, and then, yeah. Anyways, great news. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, listen, you got an injured quarterback and an injured wide receiver that may not be playing. Maybe that keeps the points low. The defense seems to be clicking a little bit. It's it's the same it's the same scenario with the Lions Vikings. It really just has to come down to Arizona plays a bad game. Maybe they maybe for the Vikings and the Cardinals. Here's the other thing: maybe they get caught sleeping. You know, classic trap game, as they say. You feel like you don't really need it too bad, especially for Arizona, Minnesota. I have a hard time believing they're super confident going into this game because why would you be confident about anything? You just lost. You have a terrible team. You're, I mean, very close to being eliminated from the playoffs if you lose to the Lions. I know that's not really how that works, but I mean, give me a break. What are the odds you're going to do anything beyond this at this point? I have a feeling they're going to be a little bit motivated. But the Cardinals going up against the Bears? I mean, Bears are one of the worst teams. I mean, the Bears are basically the Lions right now. I mean, they pretty much tied the Lions. (laughs) That could have gone either way. That was a coin flip. And as, as was laid out in our uh, segment, the laughing at the enemy segment, by a Bears fan, um, Detroit was the better team in that game. Actually, I think it was a Lions fan that said that. And they were correct. The Lions seemed like the better team in that game, but they lost. So again, I, I think it's it's kind of, kind of the same thing. The, the biggest thing is it's a little bit more likely. I do think Andy Dalton at least has some ability to maybe be a competent quarterback and kind of keep the chains moving a little bit, although Arizona's defense is pretty stout. So, I don't know. If I could offer the Bears a little bit of advice, play like the Packers did. Play physical football. You have to run the ball, and you need to run the ball hard and get your tight ends involved and make them smash people in the mouth and whatnot. But um, I, I, I really... I'll tell you what. They're lucky Justin Fields isn't playing in this game because from what I remember of the Arizona Cardinals, they like to blitz. They love to blitz. They like to bring the pressure. They like to play fast. They like to swarm. Dude, if... if if uh, Justin was in this game, I think he's he's dead. Andy Dalton might be dead in this game, but Justin Fields would be super dead. But um, yeah, I, I, we're, we're just hoping for trap games, I guess. I don't know. It's probably going to be Vikings and Cardinals, and, and both of them will probably be convincingly, but uh, who knows? Cardinals, seven and a half point favorites. Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Atlanta Falcons, Tampa Bay's 11 point favorites. The only good thing about this game is, again, Tampa Bay's been kind of iffy. 
Again, to, to revisit it. They lost to the Saints. They had a bye week. They come out of the bye week. They only score 19 points and lose to Washington. They get their big bounce back game against the Giants, scoring 30 um, and, and allowing 10. But then they play the Colts. And even though they got to 38, right, their number one scoring offense in football, um, the defense allowed 31. And the defense the last several weeks has been a major problem for them. They gave up 36 against the Saints, 29 against Washington, had a good game against the Giants, probably because it's the Giants, and then gave up 31 against the Colts. Um, the Falcons offense is kind of terrible, but they also have fits of being semi-competent, right? They can, they can throw up 30, they can throw up 27 once in a while. Um, they did put up three and then zero in back-to-back weeks, so that's not great. But, um, uh, I, I guess who are we kidding here? This is the number one offense against the, the number 31 ranked defense. This is going to be an, what is the over-under on this game? 50 points? I might just go with the, I mean, Tampa Bay is going to win. I might go with the over because... The Buccaneers, see, but that's the problem. Buccaneers defense is probably going to show up in this game. What did they do last? Have they played yet? They did play. It was 48 to 25. See, I see that as being a similar. That's kind of what I'm envisioning. That's, a, that's yeah, I'm going over. So I think Tampa Bay is going to win. I think they're going to just brutalize this Atlanta defense. I would be stunned if they only get to 35. And that puts us 15 points away Tampa Bay's defense has been kind of struggling in Atlanta. Um, again, kind of struggling, but I don't know. I'm, I'm going over. Uh, I, I don't have much optimism to to give you. This is in Atlanta, so that's that's great. Tampa Bay is undefeated on the road, but their is- or excuse me, at home, but their issues have been on the road, where they're three and three on the road. They've lost games that they shouldn't, like Washington, New Orleans, and well, the Rams, I guess, um, on the road, and then. Even New England, they barely beat the Patriots by two. They barely beat Philadelphia by six, and they barely beat the Colts by seven. So they have not really had a good game on the road. See now, I'm, now I'm now I'm skeptical here. I got to think about this. They did score thirty-eight against the Colts, but they haven't. The offense has not been very good. So I, at home, here's what their offense has done: 30, 30, 31, 38, 45, and forty-eight. So their lowest scoring game at home is thirty points, with the highest being forty-eight. Two games they've scored in the forties. At home, they did have one game at 38. That was their highest. The next highest was 28. 28, then 27, then 24, and then two games at 19. I don't think I'm going to bet this one. They've got some issues on the road, and that, that's going to be the biggest thing for the Falcons to take advantage of. Now i got to look at the Falcons at home. They actually win more games on the road, so that stinks. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm not touching it because I don't know, but that, that'll be the, the saving grace um, is the fact that it's on the road and Tampa Bay's looked a little bit iffy, and we'll see how it goes. I'm not betting it because it's too weird, but um, yeah, I guess we'll see. Obviously, desperately hoping that Atlanta pulls off a miracle, but these are just, they're, they're too stacked. You know what I mean? Like, maybe Detroit, but I mean, come on. Maybe Chicago, but give me a break. Maybe Atlanta, but let's not be stupid. <laughs> I don't I don't have, I mean, I, I can give you something. All right, Minnesota on the road, Detroit's defense, um, Arizona injuries, Chicago, you know, defense or something, Tampa on the road. But even with those things in our favor, it's still, it's still brutal. The, the only good thing I can say is when you look at the odds of the three combined, probably one upset in here somewhere. There's, there's at least a 50% chance that one of these is an, is an upset. And I'll take that. Tampa Bay losing is massive for us. Arizona losing is massive, massive for us. Minnesota losing, not massive, but humorous and glorious and funny and entertaining and and and, uh, and great and wonderful, beautiful, you know, stuff like that. What else? Colts, Texans, I don't care. Eagles, Jets, don't care. Again, I'm kind of interested just because I'm keeping an eye on the Eagles because they scare me a little bit. I just want them to miss the playoffs, but they'll probably beat the Jets. Chargers, Bengals, I don't care. Giants, Dolphins, I don't care. Washington Raiders, kind of don't care. Jacksonville Rams. All right, here we go. Again, Rams probably win. Rams close the gap on us a little bit, etc., etc. What are the odds? And this this is the biggest. I mean, it's 13-point favor, favorites for the Rams or whatever, however words work. So the, the interesting thing about it is it's 13-point favorites for the Rams, and I, I get it because it's the Rams and Jacksonville, but they're on a three-game losing streak. Three-game losing streak, and they've lost... I mean, it's, it's not really, the, the the Packers game was a little bit close, but um, they lost to Tennessee by 12 points. 
They lost to San Francisco by 21 points. They lost to the Packers by 8 points. It's not like these are coin flip games. I mean, they, they were not one score away from winning any of these games. The best they could have done is tied the Packers with a score and a two-point conversion. Furthermore, if you look at Jacksonville, you say, yeah, but look at how bad their offense is. 31st ranked offense, somehow worse than Detroit, um, which is really bad when you consider you just drafted your franchise quarterback, supposed to be the greatest to come out since luck or whatever, and, and you cannot get to 20 points since you're by 7, 9, 17, 10, and 14. But again, the Rams, not including against the Packers after their bye week, look at San Francisco and Tennessee, 10 and 16 points they scored. Um, and the defense for the Jaguars hasn't been that bad. Again, I keep saying that, but after the bye week, look at the last four weeks, 6, 23, 30, and 21. 6, 23, and 21 are not that bad. Now, it's it's actually very similar to Minnesota. This actually, it's almost exactly the same as Minnesota and Detroit. Because you, I can show you how the Rams don't score that many points. But if it's a real bad day for LA, let's say they score 16 because this defense kind of holds them to that. I still need Jacksonville to beat that. And and uh, they don't usually. Since they're by, they've surpassed 16 once. They got to 17 against the Colts. So <laughs> not impossible. We'll see what happens. Um, but it's also in LA. So that's that's not super good. The Jaguars have yet to win a single game on the road, which doesn't mean much. They've only won two games, so, you know, could you know could go either way with that. But that was Buffalo at home, Miami at home. Now, I think them beating Buffalo is the one sort of saving grace here because that is a crazier win than the Rams. That was more surprising than if they were to beat the Rams right here, right now. But, um, yeah, I think, I think they're in a lot of trouble. And they've had almost nothing but home games. They've got one, two, three, four, five, six games left. Four of them are on the road. They got Rams, Titans on the road, back for the Texans, Jets, Patriots on the road, back for the Colts. They got a brutal schedule. So, yeah, it's same, same as the Vikings. I mean, it has to be Rams playing one of their worst games, Jaguars playing one of their best games is the only way they win that. I'm not touching the spread on it because uh, I might take the— I see, the under is t- tempting for the exact same reason. I think they're overestimating the Rams' offense um, a tad— because the worst they've given up is about 30 or 31 points. They have the over-under set at 48. And I don't think the Jaguars, if, if, I mean, it's, if they get to 30, Jaguars would need to score 19. And I think the assumption is, well, Jacksonville has the 26th-ranked defense, which is looking at the full year, not what they've done since their bye week. And the Rams have the 8th-ranked offense, which is looking, again, over this entire season, not the last several weeks where the offense has struggled. And so we assume that they're going to score 40 points in this game. Maybe. I don't think so. I don't know. But I'm going to go ahead and take the under because I haven't really bet on hardly anything here. So let's do that. Um, Baltimore and Pittsburgh. The only reason that matters is because we got Baltimore coming up. So I would like to see Baltimore lose the game, especially to the Steelers who are just completely reeling right now. Um, So that makes that somewhat interesting. San Francisco and the Seahawks. Kind of want San Francisco to lose this game, partially because I hate San Francisco, partially because of the two teams. The only one with any chance of making it into the playoffs would be the 49ers. They're at six and five. They'll probably so they got the Seahawks, the Bengals, the Falcons, the Titans, the Texans, and the Rams. They've got one, two, three, four, basically four gift wrapped games that puts them to ten wins. That's they're, they're going to limp into the playoffs with that, which is why you kind of look for some. I don't want to call them necessarily miracles, but They've got four of those six games on the road. That's kind of brutal. Uh, Seattle is a divisional opponent, so you never know. They won last time by seven points. Uh, the 49ers did. So that's kind of close. I think the the biggest issue with the 49ers, and, and again, the other issue is you look at them and say, well, they're, that, they're not that good. But if they limp into the playoffs, what are they when they get into the playoffs? They have been a good offense since almost since their bye. They only scored 18 coming out of their bye, but then they went 33 against the Bears. 17 against the Cardinals, 31 against the Rams, 30 against the Jaguars, 34 against the Vikings. The offense is figuring it out, and that sucks. Beyond that, the defense, the last uh, since their bye, they've had two bad games, kind of similar to the offense, but they gave up 30 to the Colts, 22 to the Bears, which I guess that's not that impressive, 31 to Arizona, 10 to the Rams, that is impressive, 10 to the Jaguars, that's moderately impressive, 26 to the Vikings, that's, I don't know. But I mean, 10, 10, 26 the last three weeks, and 31, 30, 34. These are Winning by 21, winning by 20, and winning by what? By eight. 
They've been kind of stomping some people out. Meanwhile, the Seahawks are on a three-game three slide, um, largely because their offense is terrible. The defense hasn't allowed... The defense has been great. They're the sixth-ranked defense in football right now, um, which, again, is impressive considering the, the the massive deficiencies they have on defense. They've actually done a great job. Sixth-ranked defense since week four, 21, 26, 23, 13, 7, 17, 23, and 17. I think they got a shot. It's just a matter of can the offense figure it out. And they scored 31 against the Jaguars, you know, 28 against the 49ers last time, 30, 28. Uh, but since they're by 0, 13, and 15, the offense has been unbelievably horrible. The only good thing here, though, is common opponent, you know what the game plan is, you know how to attack them. I don't see any reason why this defense, which is, you know, I don't know, it's 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 doable. I'm, I'm picking San Francisco because they're kind of white hot right now. But you do have a good Seahawks defense, which is going up against the 49ers offense that's, you know, hopefully you bring that down, right? They're not going to get to 30 this week. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm semi, well, and again, you look at the spread, they, obviously Vegas feels the same way. They're three and a half point favorites. I think that's about right. So the 49ers should be favorites. Um, but I, I really want to see Seattle win the game because again, San Francisco is a team. I've had a lot of fun making fun of them. But they're starting to figure it out, and that's not great. You know, they, they, they've got a brand new quarterback and all that stuff. And if, if they start clicking, you know, we've got, they've got some dangerous weapons on defense. They've got some dangerous weapons on offense. If they start to figure this out, that's not great. I mean, I guess the good news is they're not figuring it out with their new quarterback. It's still Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, so it's still, it's still them. But we know what them are when they're good, even with Jimmy. So long term, it's still not the greatest for the 49ers, but I just don't want a white-hot 49ers team in the playoffs. I don't want to deal with that. So massive Seahawks fan this week, and then uh, a couple games I don't care about. So uh, we're going to leave it at that. We'll take a little bit of a break. We'll come back and we'll cover a couple of positions. If you don't care about uh, the draft or whatever, then uh, I will talk to you tomorrow. Otherwise, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you wouldn't mind jumping in supporting the podcast, you can do so for as little as $1 per month. It would be greatly appreciated. Otherwise, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, so I want to talk about tight ends today. And since we're kind of late into this, we'll probably just do tight ends. And tight ends are kind of fun because there's different kinds of tight ends. Um, and especially in Green Bay, that's interesting. Whereas in other teams, most teams in the NFL, you're basically looking for a tall receiver, right? Just give me a tall guy that runs fast and can catch footballs that we can put in the slot and have him challenge linebackers. And uh, the Packers wouldn't mind that for sure. But um, they're also one of the few that would be looking for a Mercedes Lewis type. And the cool thing about that is nobody else really wants that. So it ends up being kind of like a fullback where the best pure blocking tight end could fall to the fourth, fifth, sixth round because nobody cares because he's not a good receiver and the Packers will pick him up late and he serves that one function and he does a fantastic job doing it. Now, if they can block really well and are a great receiver, then then fine. They're going to go super early because that's going to be very coveted. But it's it's so unbelievably, I mean, I mean it, the point is if you're not a good receiver, you're basically hated by NFL teams. Like you're useless. It's nice that you can block, but that's so far down the line. Up to, to, it would be inaccurate to even call it secondary. But um, the the big tight ends, and th- there's not a lot of them. Um, bef- in the top 100, there's four tight ends. Jalen Weidermeyer, Texas A&M, he's been, or Weidermeyer, however you say his name, he's been sort of the top guy through this whole process. Trey McBride is the second guy. Now, I'll, I'll be honest. Wouldn't be surprised if Trey McBride ends up becoming the top guy, because if you look at, let me see how many guys we've got here, uh, do out of, let's go to page three, because there's that many tight ends, 438 tight ends. Trey McBride is the number one receiving tight end in college football, according to um, PFF. He has the highest receiving grade. So Trey McBride very possibly could be um, the number one guy to go off. He also has a 76 pass blocking grade, so it's not as though, well, he's a terrible blocker or anything like that. Um, and PFF grades are not the be-all, end-all, but I'm just saying, don't be surprised if he overtakes Weidermeyer or whatever. Jalen uh, Weidermeyer, I'm just going to go back and forth because I have no idea exactly how you say it. Um, he is 86th. He has a 68 overall receiving grade. He has a... Geez, I got to scroll a lot here. 51 pass, but so he's not doing anything really well. So again, I'm, I'm a little skeptical. I mean, you know, if, if he had, if he graded out fine, then that's, that's one thing. But the fact that he's actually grading out semi-poorly, let me filter this so there's less people here. Even if we just look at pure statistics, um, you've got Trey McBride does only have one touchdown, but Jalen has 515 yards. Trey McBride, 1,125 receiving yards. I might have to check out Trey McBride, man. So I, I finally found that uh, database of uh, all 22 college films. So I'm probably start using that a little bit more. And so I think the, the further evidence is a lot of the draft community is very slow. They're very slow to this kind of stuff. Which is weird because I'm positioning myself as being ahead of the pack, even though these guys are studying 24-7. But the fact of the matter is Jalen became a top prospect because of what he did in 2020. He's having a terrible 2021, and the he hasn't it hasn't corrected. Now, to be fair, it has corrected a little bit. Let me click on this. It probably will demonstrate that. So he was the 18th ranked overall prospect a while ago. 18th ranked. This was, uh, what is the date? 8-3 of this year. So he has since fallen down to 45th. So he is falling. He's still not far enough behind because the, the bottom line is what he's done this year is not worthy of being a second round pick. It's just not. Maybe somebody will take him because again, in 2020, he had an 84 overall grade. Good for him. Trey McBride though, and I know it's Colorado State, so maybe there's some skepticism or whatever, but he's six foot four. He's 260 pounds. His grade in, in his year one was 50 overall, but since then, 83, 86, and 94.7. I mean, he is closing in on, um, who's the guy that got drafted by Arizona? At Atlanta, I mean, Kyle Pitts. Kyle, he's, he's closing in on Kyle Pitts' territory in terms of his PFF grade, and PFF was uh, railing about how Kyle Pitts had basically broke their system. 
Trey McBride is the guy, and he, and he does everything. 95 receiving grade, 88 drop grade, meaning he doesn't drop passes, 76 pass blocking grade. Now, again, Colorado State, maybe not going up against the best of the best. How do you know, can you get open against guys in the NFL? Can you block guys in the NFL? Uh, you know, whatever. You know, they did play Iowa, which is a real football team, and uh, he got a 66 overall grade. So maybe that needs to be looked into. What is he when he goes up against actual high quality teams? as opposed to his uh, best overall performance against New Mexico. You know, according to PFF, Iowa is the 26th ranked team. New Mexico ranks 120th out of 130 teams. So kind of a big difference there. But still, I mean, this this is... I think this is, the, this is the hard part about especially college evaluation, and this is where actual scouting comes into play. But I, I was just watching uh, Trey McBride, and, and the problem is it's so hard to even take that to the next level because because the next logical thought process is well that's why you don't just look at stats you look at things like fundamentals okay so i just got done watching trey mcbride blocking people and he does a great job right fundamentally as best as i can tell he's doing a great job right his feet are moving got all the angles right his hands are in the right spot all that stuff that's great how much does any of that matter if he's going up against a guy like daniel hunter he can be as fundamentally sound as he wants to be. He's going to get thrown on his face. So it's hard then to try to say, okay, how does he look against a really tough opponent with all his fundamentals compared to another tight end and all his fundamentals, right? Uh, Trey McBride and Jay Sternberger and Mercedes Lewis can all have the same fundamentals and can all be doing roughly the same things in terms of, of blocking technique. But only one of those guys is going to survive a death match with an actual talented NFL pass rusher, rusher or a blitzing linebacker or something like that. And it's probably the guy that is a monstrous, massive human being that is stronger, but also more intelligent that's able to, you know, when things break down, what do you do? So here's your fundamentals. Great. That's out the window now because he just hits you in the chest with one hand and knocked you back five steps. You know what to do now. What are you doing? What, what, what's the plan here? So I don't exactly know. I think if you watch enough tape, you can find those certain situations. You can find those certain things where you can say, all right, I want to know in this situation. So you find that one matchup. You find him going up against this guy, and, and you see where things kind of break down. You see how they react. You see what they do. You know, that's what you're kind of looking for in those situations. That's why you need an NFL scouting staff that can dedicate, you know, hours and hours and hours to a single person. But I can't sit here and watch, you know, his one game, you know, against Colorado where he's he's blocking these guys up pretty well and just say, yeah, he's he's a good blocker. Well, yeah, I mean, th- these guys aren't doing a good job getting around Trey McBride. That doesn't tell me anything about the NFL. So what I can say is is he seems to be doing a good job. Um, I think tight end is, is such a hard thing, especially for me to to be able to see. You know, I mean, when you get a guy like Kyle Pitts, all right, that's easy and that's obvious to see what makes him special. But when you're able to block really bad linebackers for four seconds, I mean, that's cool. When you're able to run into a vacated zone, like, wow, that's that's great. I don't know why there's anybody that couldn't do that, but congratulations. But that's why I'm not a scout and don't pretend to be. But I I, I just bring that up because it's there's obviously some some bigger issues that we have to look at beyond, well, he grades out really well. But it isn't nothing, right? There's a lot of, of uh, guys that play for teams like Colorado that do not grade out nearly this well. And I do think at at the end of the day, Trey McBride, not saying he's going to be the first tight end to go, but I do think at the very least, he's going to be well ahead of Weidermeyer, who is just, again, he's just having a bad year. And so I don't really expect him to be able to to do very much. Outside of that, um, you've got Jeremy Ruckert out of Ohio State, because it wouldn't just wouldn't be a uh, list without an Ohio State guy. Mr. Jeremy is six foot five, two hundred and fifty pounds. Um, I'm really not sure why he's here, other than Ohio State. He only has 284 yards and three touchdowns. Um, he's having his second worst year, which again, maybe this is because of what he did in 2020. But he wasn't that great in 2020 either. Um, he had 151 yards and five touchdowns, 72 overall grade. He has uh, 60 overall grade right now, a 47 pass blocking grade. He's kind of just a bad tight end. I don't know why he's here. I, I, again, this this is sort of the issue with the draft community, it's still really early. All this stuff is going to sort itself out. And and once, you know, January, February, March hits, these things are going to start to sort really, really fast. Um, 
You're going to see people digging beyond. So nobody's really looking at a third round tight end right now. Very few people. And so you'll have, because he's a big name, Ohio State guy, he's going to be up here. Everybody knows Jalen Weidermeyer. So we just, you know, when, when I'm putting together a list, because this is a an aggregation. And so you got some people that actually look at these guys and you got other people who don't know what they're looking at and they put together lists and they're kind of stupid and whatever. And that that's the majority of the draft community. In fact, let me look at, for example, Jeremy Ruckert and find out what brought him to this spot. Uh, Walter Football put him at number 24. CBS, Chris Trapasso has had him at 26th to the Ravens, 23rd to the Saints, 23rd to the Titans. Why? Uh, NFL Spin Zone has him 24th to the Titans. NFL Mocks, um, this was uh, Sayer Bettinger of NFL Mocks, put him 24th to the Titans. 21st, Sports Illustrated, Jack Borowski, 21st to the Jets. And the last two, uh, Walter Football and CBS, Tris, Chris Trapasso, that was in November, just this past month. And by the way, Walter Football actually has that a 2023 pick, so he's saying he's not even going to declare this year, which is another dynamic to this. So he has them going 2023 fairly high, which is somewhat understandable because who knows what's going to happen in another year. But again, Chris Trapasso, what do you do? What do you do? Are you are we actually going to believe that this guy's studying tape and is watching this guy that's not playing very well and thinks he's going to go 26th overall to the Ravens? Why? He can't block. He's not a good receiver. His statistics are terrible. There's nothing good about the guy. I don't understand. He does have a decent run blocking grade, but that's just because he's had a couple really good games. He's got an 83, an 81, a 77, and a 76, but he also has a 51, 49, 48, and 46. So it averages out pretty high, but he's he has as many good and average and bad games as you know any of the others. So we're, we're kind of going through. The, the only other guy on here is Kate Otten out of Washington, 77th overall. His peak was 45. So he's obviously falling as well. Cade Otten right now is the 38th ranked tight end, which again, considering how many tight ends there are, and to be fair, there are only 27 with a 70 overall grade or higher. 27 out of, what did I say, 300 and some odd tight ends. So to be 38th out of that many is still pretty impressive. Um, However, again, this is another guy who was really impressive in 2020. He had an 82 overall grade, right now 65. He's having his worst year of his entire career at Washington. He has 250 yards and one touchdown. He has a 60 receiving grade, a 30 fumbling grade, because he fumbles the ball a bunch, apparently, um, and a 62 pass blocking grade. So he's not a good blocker. He's having a terrible year as a receiver. He's really just where he is because of last year, where he had an 82 overall grade. Um, And even that was 258 yards and three touchdowns. So... uh, if we wanted to just look at guys that that grade out really well to see maybe who could kind of pop out and, and surprise us, let's just look at the top 10 receiving grades and see how many of these guys are actually potentially going to declare this year. You've got Isaiah Likely. Um, he plays for Coastal Carolina. So again, it's a small school kind of a thing, but he has 816 yards, 15.7 yards per reception and 10 touchdowns so far this year. He's been fairly consistent. In fact, he's gotten better every year, 67, 81, 90, and 92. So there is that small school dynamic. Um, He is purely a receiver. These guys come out kind of regularly. They're small school guys who uh, do not grade out well as blockers, but they're great receivers. He's probably got a ton of speed, 6'4", 240. These guys are, I don't want to say a dime a dozen, but every year there's two or three of these guys. They usually go like third-ish round. Maybe sometimes they might sneak into the second Usually they get like first, second round buzz. They go late second, third, maybe possibly fourth. I don't know. Um, who's the guy for the Eagles? I think might have been one of them. I think Dallas Goddard was one of them. I'm not I'm not positive. But these guys are are fairly regular. But the point is, this is the kind of guy you would expect to to get drafted relatively highly. Not super. I mean, again, it's Coastal Carolina. It might be a mid-round pick, but he is just he is the prototypical uh NFL tight end. Six foot four, two forty, fast good receiver. Done deal. Lock him up. Um, Brock Bowers is a rookie right now, or, or he's playing his first year, so I don't know exactly where he is. So he's, he cannot declare yet, but he's a guy to keep an eye on. Um, he is the what third highest graded tight end in football in terms of receiving. He's also got a good blocking grade. Plays for Georgia, so that's a guy to keep an eye on down the road. Uh, Garrett Prince uh, out of UAB, I would say he's probably not going to be very... I mean, he's got a 90 receiving grade, 
but he's been terrible the first three years at UAB. He's having a breakout year, and even his breakout year is either like a 95 overall grade or a 30 overall grade, so he's very inconsistent. That's not going to work in the NFL. Um, Austin Allen out of Nebraska, Nebraska, 6'9", 255 with a 90 overall receiving. This is actually kind of interesting because he's been real bad. 2018, 19, and 20, he had a 50, 55, and 60 overall grade, getting a little bit better. So far, 90.7, relatively consistent. Um, 602 yards so far this year. Last year, he had 236. So far, 602, only two touchdowns. But um, this is the kind of guy that that probably is going to get a ton of buzz that nobody's talking about yet. But at some point, somebody's going to find this guy's film. They're going to start talking about him. And everyone's going to want to be the first person to talk about Austin Allen. And, you know, just just be aware of that. This is a name that's probably going to pop up. Six foot nine, two feet. I mean, just the fact that he's six nine is going to get some people super excited. I'm going to have to put him on the back burner. Let me see if we've got any Austin Allen uh, film here. I'm guessing that there is a UST. No, no Austin Allen. Seriously? Chase Allen, Davis Allen, no Austin Allen. Somebody actually did put together, uh, Nova Kane put together a highlight video of all 22 film with him catching two passes. So you can go, you can go find that on YouTube. But uh, yeah, keep an eye on that. Um, another one to keep an eye on, Peyton Hendershot, Indiana. Same thing, not very good at four years at Indiana, three years not great, big breakout year, 58, 72, 53, 90.5. He is a little bit more inconsistent. Um, it's either like really good or kind of like in the 50s, but uh, 543 yards, four touchdowns, 11.8 yards per reception. Do have a little Peyton Hendershot in here. It's another guy, same situation. Nobody really knows about him, nobody cares. Somebody will find out and that buzz will begin. Um, Jeremiah Hall, Oklahoma, kind of up and down, only 320 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, his grades, 44, 89, 71, 89. So kind of, again, up and down, but three decent years, somewhat inconsistent, but really his bad games are about a 60. So he's got a, a, a high floor, 6'2", 248, kind of a, 6'2", is a problem. People are not going to like a 6'2", tight end. That's, that's like an average wide receiver. I mean, fair, somewhat tall, but 62248 I just I think that might be kind of an issue maybe he gets used in sort of a uh inline capacity which is actually looks like how he's used a lot or uh you know line up in the backfield kind of thing I don't know Charlie Kohler um 6 foot 6 260 three really good years at Iowa State he's got 731 yards and five touchdowns which is pretty consistent with what he's done for the last three years, 85, 85, and 88 were his grades the last several years as a receiver, 90, 88, and 87. Um, the guy just doesn't miss. He might not be the greatest blocker, but he's a consistent receiver. And at 260 pounds, um, six foot six, I have a feeling this is going to be a somewhat coveted person. Jake Ferguson out of Wisconsin, 85 overall receiving grade, um, somewhat of a breakout season. He's never really been bad, but as a rookie, he was really good. Got a ton of hype and then kind of fell off 67 grade. Then he was back up a little bit in 2020-75. And then this year, his best year, 85.5. Uh, 417 yards and two touchdowns isn't that impressive statistically. And he does have some up and down stuff. Um, most of his 85 overall grade is because of three good games, Michigan, Army, and Nebraska. So he'll probably be a midder to late round person. But again, still compared to some of the guys we've talked about, I have a feeling he's going to be rising in the ranks a little bit. Then finally, uh, Marshawn Ford out of Louisville. Um, he's playing his third year so far, 90, 86, and 84. His receiving grades, he is an abyss, six foot two, 240. I mean, he's, he is a, he's a big receiver and um, terrible blocker, decent receiver. He's, he's probably not going to go very early. Anyways, those are a few guys to keep an eye on. I do have to get going. Uh, I got a late start. Everybody's waking up. Everyone's panicking. I need help, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.